It is amazing how far uh, we have come, at least in my um, experience. My first church that I pastored in, for the first three years, we did not have a musician. We used CDs to be able to do the worship on Sunday morning and to think that we are blessed with two great pianists. Thank you both for sharing your <laughs> gifts with us this morning. We did eventually uh, develop some worship folks in our church in Pennsylvania. In fact, on one Sunday, I can remember six guitarists that joined us up on the platform. Uh, and the platform was certainly no bigger than this, probably a little bit smaller. Uh, but I don't think I've ever been a part of a church that has as many gifted musicians as we have here. So I'm very grateful for that. Well, it's a blessing to be able to share with you this morning, especially as we kick off this new year. And as we kick off the new year, it's a great time for us to uh, not only look back, but to look ahead, because I believe that God has great things in store for us as well. You know, this, this past week marked three years from an event that took place in my life. Uh, it was January 2nd, three years ago. Uh, that I was up at the Central Clemson Rec Center working out, and I pinched a nerve in my neck. I was probably at, strength-wise, I was probably at the highest I had ever been. I was bench pressing about 270 pounds, and I had already finished my bench press stuff, and I was, I was working my triceps, and when I did, all of a sudden, I felt something pop in my neck. I knew immediately that that wasn't just a muscle that pulled, but that it was more significant. Over the next 24 hours, I lost 70% of the strength in my upper body. Um, I would stand at the free throw line. For those of you who know me well enough, you know I, I enjoy playing basketball. And I could stand at the free throw line and I could not shoot the ball all the way to the rim. That's how weak I became almost overnight. Uh, I went to go see a doctor. Uh, I don't want to tell you his name because I think there are a couple people in here who have used him and you probably think very highly of him, so I just won't mention him. Anyways, I went to a doctor and he informed me that there was absolutely nothing that he could do to regain the strength that had been lost. In fact, he told me no matter what I did that I would never be able to regain that strength. He said, but I can stop your muscles from deteriorating more. He wanted to have surgery and I, I told him no, because uh, that's not really what I wanted to do. Um, Last night, I worked out, and I am not bench pressing 270 pounds, but I'm really, really close. And I feel really, really good about that. I will tell you that that did not happen just because I decided, you know what, let me go back to the gym. Instead, I can say that because I made a decision a while back that I would be faithful to it, that I would give everything that I have to it to make sure that Basically, that injury would not define who I am. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Since our time on earth is limited, we should strive to accomplish all that we can do. Never be satisfied. Never assume that a little bit of effort will ever be enough because it will not especially in spiritual matters. So what is it that you would do with all of your might? 
what is the thing that you would give everything that you have to, to make sure that you could accomplish that goal? And not just to say you participated in it, but to say that you did it well. Today, as we kick off the new year, I want to call you to work with all your might to make disciples. The mission of our church is to make disciples who will make a difference. It's been our mission for almost five years now. I'll be at a conference this week that was referenced earlier today with other pastors from all over the country. And my guess is that our mission statement to make disciples who will make a difference will not be all that different from most other churches today. They word it slightly different, but it's basically the same general idea. Make disciples, not just believers, but followers. Students, those who would walk in the same footsteps and then make a difference. Don't just sit in the pews and take it in. Don't just be that sponge and you receive it over and over and over again, but now go use it. Go make a difference with what you are receiving. Put it into practice. Go out and love the broken, the lost within our community. Make a difference. Well, let me suggest to you that While this may be a fairly common call or mission, it is rarely exercised by the church as a whole. This is not an offense against any particular church or even a pastor. It is simply a realization that we are not accomplishing the mission well enough. We're more interested in putting on a good performance each Sunday. We're more interested in making sure that people feel comfortable and welcome when they walk in the doors. We're more interested in making sure that our churches are financially stable. By the way, there is nothing wrong with a quality program on Sunday morning. And there's nothing wrong with offering an encouraging message or even having a church that is financially stable. But if we have all of those things and we do not accomplish the mission, then we still fail. We are to be making disciples who will make a difference. You know, each year we try to focus on one aspect of fulfilling this call. Two years ago, we focused on the need for us to dig deeper, to go deeper in Christ, to know him more intimately than we ever have before. Last year, we focused on the need to connect with God and with God's word and with the people of God. Certainly, all of these are incredible of incredible value in making disciples who will make a difference. Well, this year... We also have a focus, and it's perfectly within the progression of these themes. See, the first one, digging deeper, it's all about you making sure you are more intimately aware of Christ in your life, and then connecting with him and his word and the body, so you're still dealing internally, but you're also dealing a little bit with moving outward This year's theme is truly modeled for us in what I had Josh read a few moments ago in Genesis 18. I want to read it to you once more. It's found in Genesis 18, verse 18 and 19. It says this, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, 
and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. We see within this passage an emphasis on family, which our focus this year will be on family. Now, it comes in three specific ways. The first is in regard to God's blessing upon Abraham. To best understand this promised blessing, we need to understand who Abraham was first and what he was doing and what he was going through at this time. First of all, know that by the time we read this in Genesis 18, Abraham is not a young man anymore. He is an old man. He has tried for years to have children, but it's not happening. No matter what they do, they're not able to have kids. Well, just a few verses earlier, God made a promise to Abraham that within a year, Abraham and Sarah will have a son. Well, Sarah's response speaks volumes about this frustration that existed for both Abraham and Sarah. They both wanted this to happen, but Abraham's almost 100. Sarah's almost 90. Listen to what it says in verse 11 and 12. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of child childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? You kind of sense a little bit of sarcasm as she is speaking here. Oh, sure, now you're going to give us kids. I get it. They've given up. But God is a God of miracles. And Abraham's family would be a miracle. Now, knowing that in their culture, a man and woman's value was often determined by their ability to bear children, to carry on the family name, is very important. Because for a long time, they have sought to be able to carry on the family name. You know, many years earlier, God had made a promise to Abraham that he would make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Had God forgotten the promise that he had made? For years they had been faithful to God, yet he seemed content leaving them without children. Perhaps God simply wanted them to find fulfillment in God before they found fulfillment in anything else. I was thinking this morning, of several families that I've been able to walk with through very difficult times. In the midst of those difficult times, it often causes individuals to call more passionately upon the Lord, asking for help. God, I need you to intervene in this situation. It is such a tragedy to be taking place. God, I need you right now to move on my behalf. And they pray fervently that the Lord would move. And unfortunately, often what happens is the moment God meets that need, 
they no longer pursue the Lord as fervently as they did in the midst of their crisis. Perhaps what God has done with Abraham and Sarah is to simply cause them to seek him more intentionally and more passionately than they ever would have had they had everything that they had always wanted. Consider Philippians 4.19, where Paul reminds us of this need to call upon the Lord. He says in Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, he is the one you must call on. He is the one you can trust. Or consider James 1.17, which says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. The point is that God is more than enough, and he not only desires to bless you, but he has already blessed you more than you could ever deserve. 2 Samuel 22 Verse 3 through 4 gives testimony of God's blessing. It says, My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior. From violent people, you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and have been saved from my enemies. How has God shown himself to be faithful to you? How has God blessed you in 2018? I want you to know that God wants to bless you in 2019. But I also want you to notice something about Abraham and the passage from 2 Samuel. The passage in 2 Samuel 22 begins with a statement that my God is my rock and my salvation in whom I take refuge. Likewise, Abraham had chosen a life of obedience. Many years earlier, Abraham was called by God to go to a place that I will show you. He didn't give him any other information. Go to a place that I will show you. Abraham picked up his family and he went. He lived a life of obedience. I need you to know that although God does desire to bless you more than anything else, he desires for you to pursue him and to walk in obedience with him. He desires that you will become his disciple. He desires that you live for him and then see how God will bless you. I've seen far too many individuals who live in their sin and they know that what they're doing is not right, yet somehow they still expect God to bless them in the midst of their sin. It's like the couple that comes and says, you know, we, we, we need God to bless our relationship and they're living together outside of marriage. Why would God bless that when you're already choosing to act in a way that is contrary to what he expects? 
See, it's important for us to realize that while God does desire that we bless him, he is far more interested in our hearts than he is any blessing you might be seeking. Know that this isn't a get rich thing where if you come to church so many times in the year, then God will give you more than your neighbor. Instead, it is a realization that God will not bless you just so you can blow his blessing on selfishness and sin. He blesses you for a reason. In fact, in Abraham's case, he is blessed so that the world may be blessed also. Let's go back to the original passage again in Genesis 18. It says in verse 18 that Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. It would appear that God never intended for Abraham to keep this blessing unto himself. The world would be blessed because of the blessing that was given to Abraham. Now this has been demonstrated over and over again throughout history as the people of Israel have often become God's tool to help today's world. But let me give you one example of this from Scripture. It comes from the story of Old Testament Joseph. He is betrayed by his brothers. He's sold as a slave, and he ends up down in Egypt. His brothers, they were not good guys. They sell him off, and they assume he's dead. We'll probably never see him again. I'm sure there were times Joseph might have even questioned, maybe this is it for me. I'll probably never see my family again. Joseph ends up a slave in Egypt, while he is there, he is betrayed once again, and he ends up a prisoner, not because of the fact that he did anything wrong, but simply an act of betrayal. Somehow, God turns every situation into another situation, though, and eventually he moves from slave to prisoner to being second in command over all of Egypt. God uses him as a tool to prepare the people of Egypt for a great drought that is going to take place. As this drought would continue on, word would spread that Egypt had plenty of food. And nearby nations would also come to Egypt seeking food. Even Joseph's own family. You remember the brothers, the guys who they weren't really good guys. These were the ones who sold him as a slave. They would come to Egypt looking for food. And who would they have to come to but Joseph? A little bit of poetic justice. They don't even realize it's Joseph because remember, they think he's dead. They figure he's gone. There's no way this would be our brother. But the moment Joseph sees them, he knows exactly who he's looking at. You know how tempting it must have been to simply say, you know what, I think it's time that we develop some new slaves. He could have done that. He was in that position of authority and power. As they speak with their brother in Genesis chapter 50, we see this principle of God's blessing being for more than Joseph and his immediate family, though. 
This is what it says, beginning in verse 19. It says, But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In this situation, God's blessing on the people of God became God's blessing on all those in that region, resulting in the saving of many lives. Know that God has always desired for his people to be a blessing to the world around us, to make disciples who will make a difference in a broken world. In fact, as we move forward to the New Testament, we see that God's love is readily extended to all those who will place their faith in Jesus Christ. Consider the promise of John 3.36, which says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Notice that this invitation is not merely for those who are already from the line of Abraham, but for all who will believe in the Son. You see, once again, God has blessed Abraham and his line. Jesus Christ comes from the line of Abraham. But the blessing was not intended just for the line of Abraham, but so that all nations might be blessed. Well, I could stop right there and be content because within verse 18, we see a clear call that we are to make disciples who will make a difference. But the theme for 2019 is what flows out of verse 19. And it says this, For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Here's the theme of 2019, building strong families. And the point of this passage is that discipleship, making disciples who will make a difference, discipleship begins at home. Notice what the passage said. God has chosen Abraham so that... In order that, the whole purpose, the whole reason that Abraham was chosen was so that he will direct his children and his household after him. Know that Abraham would have no greater responsibility than to lead his children to God. And the same is true for us. Say, I don't have any kids. I got a brother. I got a sister. I got my mom and dad. Me and my wife are married, but we, we don't have any children. Do you know that regardless of how many children you have in your household, your greatest responsibility 
is to point the people in your household to Jesus Christ. That is the most important. So my kids are all grown. I can't really do anything with them anymore. They're going to make their own decisions. You never, ever are released from the call to disciple and to show your children and the people that you love who Jesus Christ is. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. We all have this responsibility. Abraham's greatest responsibility was to point his family to Christ. And the same is true for you. We do that in two ways. First, we tell them. Repeatedly throughout the scriptures, we see God calling his people to pass it on to the next generation. In Exodus 12, we're being instructed on the Passover feast. This is the way you're supposed to do it, and this is why you're supposed to do it. In verse 26, it tells the adult audience that they are to tell the children of how God had provided for them. For it was while we were in Egypt and we were enslaved and there was no way out. And God made a way to deliver us. As he sent his angel through the land and as it passed over the homes of each of those who had blood sprinkled on the door, the blood of the lamb, they were rescued. God expected his people to pass it on to the next generation. Multiple times in Deuteronomy, we see the people being instructed to pass on God's law to their children so that they too may walk in the blessing of God. And in Joshua, as the Israelites cross the Jordan River, the people take 12 stones from a riverbed and they use them to set up a stone memorial. In Joshua 4, 6, they are instructed to teach their children regarding that stone memorial and why it was there. That was the place where God allowed us to cross the Jordan River. What's more significant, man, it was at flood stage. The water was so deep and so powerful, there's no way we should have been able to go through there. But God caused the waters to be stopped up. And he caused the ground to become so dry that we were able to walk through on dry ground together as a nation. And God provided. Do not keep this story to yourself. When your children see it, you tell them why that stone memorial's there. You tell them what God did and how he provided for you and for me. Let me challenge you for a moment that this may be a great place for us to start. If discipleship begins at home, let's start by sharing with our children how God has blessed us and provided. Say, I don't have kids, so who do I do this with? You find somebody that you love and you care for, and you begin by just sharing with them how God has moved in your life? What are the things that God has done? What are those crisis moments where you called out to the Lord and in the middle of the crisis, He showed up and He did something amazing? How has God moved in your life? When was the last time you shared that with family? Maybe today 
should be that day. Second thing we do, the first thing we tell them, the second thing we do is we show them. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 46 says, he said to them, take to heart all the words I I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. Now, at first glance, this verse is all about what I say, but I want you to notice that it's very much about what I do. As Moses records this, he wants the people to do more than hear it. He wants them to do more than just let it sink into their heads. He wants them to take it to heart. In other words, let it impact every decision that you may also be able to teach. Here's the thing. If you're not living it, you're going to teach it all you want. It's never going to come out right. If you're not living it, your kids, your spouse, your family members are going to look at you and they're going to say, what you're saying doesn't add up because I don't see it in your life. When it identifies the need to take something to heart, it identifies the fact that this needs to be more than just something you say, but it needs to become a part of who you are so that it flows out of you. We've all heard the phrase, do as I say, not as I do. And that has absolutely no place in a disciple of Jesus Christ. For we ought to be people who take the word of God and we apply it to our hearts so that it flows out of us in everything that we do. If you are not living it, these are simply empty words. But when you live it, they'll be more likely, your children, your spouse, your siblings, they will be more likely to imitate it. Because they have seen it lived out already. Making disciples begins at home. But it has to start right here, right now. I began with an illustration where I talked about the fact that three years ago, I could not have lifted 70 pounds. I felt incredibly weak at the time. For someone who has exercised all my life, I felt almost useless. At some point, I had to make a decision that simply said, I'm not okay with this and I've got to make a change. Let's apply it from a spiritual standpoint. You can stay where you're at. And things will continue down the same path. Or you can make a conscious decision right here, right now, that you will make disciples and I will begin at home. And I will begin today. Maybe for you it's time to start doing family devotions. Sit down with your spouse, sit down with your kids, and just pick a book of the Bible and start reading it together. I'll tell you, for our family, we're doing the book of Joshua. It's part of it's just because I'm very familiar with the book of Joshua and I love it. Uh, I have used it for discipleship for uh, specifically with uh, individuals coming out of addiction for years. Uh, We're actually going to use it a little bit with the sermon stuff uh, for the next few months. So it's something that 
I'm already involved digging into. Well, I want my kids to dig into it. So every night, our goal is to read at least a few verses to be able to talk about and ask questions and just be able to work through it. Maybe what needs to happen is you need to start something brand new. Maybe you don't use Joshua. Go to the book of James. I'm going to tell you, the book of James is one of the most rich passages that you will ever find. Five chapters, and in the midst of those five chapters, I believe about every two to three verses, you could probably preach on those two to three verses. It's not like Leviticus, where you might read through somebody's genealogy, and it might go two chapters before you find something you think, I, could, I might be able to preach on that. The book of James is so rich and beautiful. Take your family through that. Read a few verses, ask a few questions. How does this connect with me and my life, with where I am? One of the things I've often challenged people with when they do family devotions or any other type of devotions, as you read, ask specific questions. What is the theme? What is the message of this that we're reading? How does this apply to me, to you, to the situations you have going on in your life is there anything else that just catches my attention that maybe I never even thought of that? The Word of God is alive, and I know that the Word of God was written 2,000 years ago, but I'm telling you, it will meet you right where you are right now, and it will connect with the things that are going on in your life, but you'll never know it if you don't get in it. You have to be intentional to get into God's Word. Do it at home. Maybe it's you just starting to pray with your family. Just starting to pray for your family together. Man, there's so much power in having someone pray specifically for you in your presence. And you know that they're not just saying, well, I'll pray for you. And then it never happens. We've got a gentleman who's a part of our church. He's in poor health right now. Not sure how much longer he will be with us. Dr. Malcolm Ellis, wonderful man of God. Since I have been here. He has been incredibly faithful to call the church. He'll call, he'll talk to Debbie for a couple minutes and, well, is the pastor in? She'll turn the phone over to me. You know the only reason he wants to talk to me? He wants to pray for me and he wants me to hear it. And there is incredible power and not only praying for others, but even hearing other people pray specifically for you. What if you did that with your family? Husbands and wives that are at odds and they're not connecting the way they ought to. And you begin to pray for one another. And you begin to pray that God would bless and he would provide. And that he would move in her life and in his life. And the next thing you know, that bitterness that has begun to develop turns into a love because you genuinely begin to care for the people that you're praying for. Maybe you need to start reading the word together. Maybe you need to start praying for each other. Maybe we simply need to begin by seeking the Lord and saying, God, you have your way in my family today. Far too many of us have depended upon the church, upon the pastor or the youth or children's pastor or the Sunday school teacher to make disciples who will make a difference. You go make a difference. 
Jesus said in John 9, verse 4, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. In other words, you have an opportunity now to impact the people in your life. Take advantage of it, because it won't last forever. 2019. Our goal is to build strong families. I pray that your family will become all that God would have it be. Who knows what God will do in your home as we together begin to seek the Lord with all that we have. Discipleship begins at home. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, we're so grateful for your love and your grace. We're grateful that you reached into our lives And that you have offered us redemption and salvation. But I pray this year that we would do much more than just take it in. But rather I pray that you would allow it to become a part of who we are in our homes. Lord, I pray that the word of God would become real. I pray that you would cause us to seek you together, to pray for one another and with one another. I pray that in the midst of our homes we would find intimacy with you. Lord, I pray that you would lay upon us an incredible burden that we would not be satisfied just talking about it, but that this would become reality for us. Lord, give us the strength that we need. Help us to call upon your name and to experience your power, not just in our church, but in our home. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Notice I did not have you raise hands. I want to see you live it out. I wasn't asking for someone to raise their hands on Sunday morning and say, I'll do this. I'm asking you to simply live it out instead. Let discipleship begin in your home. I do thank you for being with us this morning. If you would like to join us for Sunday school, we would love to have you join us for Sunday school. It begins in about 14 minutes, and we'd love to have you join us. Thank you for being with us. Go in peace.